Good morning, Forest Park. Happy New Year. Great to have you with us today. Hey, before we jump into our brand new series today, I want to mention a couple things. Uh, first, it's wonderful having Evan with us. My son is on the drums today, and uh, he is on staff at uh, Church Unlimited in Corpus Christi, Texas. He and his lovely wife, Emily, have been with us over this past week, and uh, it was just such a privilege to have him here today playing uh, drums for us. So always wonderful to have them home. So I just want to say a big thanks to Evan for being with us and jumping in uh, to the band today. Then my daughter was leading uh, worship today, too, so that was fun uh, to see as well. Also, one more thing before we jump into the series today. Uh, something I'm really excited about, I want to encourage you to participate at some level. Beginning tomorrow is 22 days of fasting and prayer here at Forest Park. It's the first time our church has done this corporately. We've always encouraged people, of course, to pray and uh, move along their spiritual journey, but we're doing this together. And we're asking people to choose something significant from which to fast. It could be food, coffee, social media, anything of value. We're pushing pause on it so we can focus more time over these next few weeks and creative energy and all the different things that go along with being able to say no to some other things so that the, the energy and time and all that can be focused on um, prayer, meditation, reflection for the new year. So we're going to begin tomorrow actually sending out personal Bible readings, video devotions each day. I'm, I'm going to do one, Preston's going to do one, Lana's going to do one, Carla Beth's going to do one, all the way through our staff team. And then some other folks in the church are going to be sending out about five-minute video devotions every day. So we'd love to have you a part of this, and I'm excited because I believe it's going to do wonders for your own uh, mental, emotional, and spiritual life, but also together as a family, Forest Park Church family, and we're going to do what we can to put us in control of some of our appetites rather than our appetites being in control of us. So really excited about this, and you'll hear more about it, you'll see more about it, and things like that online. All right, let's jump into a brand new series I'm kicking off today, thrilled about, called uh, Wouldn't It Be Nice? So, hey, I read a story in Charles Duhigg's book, The Power of Habit, a few years ago. I read a story about Eugene Pauly, better known as E.P. Eugene suffered permanent brain damage, and as a result, E.P. has no short-term memory. It doesn't matter how many times he has shown the way he is unable to find his own kitchen. In fact, if you were sitting in the house with E.P. and you said, you know, wh wh where's the kitchen? How do you find it? He would have no idea. He would just shrug his shoulders and, you know, have no idea wh which room is the kitchen. He'd have to go get up and look for it. But 20 minutes later, Eugene gets off the couch, walks directly to the kitchen, and gets a drink from the refrigerator. He can't explain how he does it. Afterward, if you ask E.P. where the kitchen is, he would not be able to tell you. E.P. does a daily walk around his neighborhood, and when asked which house is his, he doesn't know. However, when he gets to his driveway, he always finds the right house, and he goes inside. Duhigg writes, the doctors had warned E.P.'s wife, Beverly, that she would need to monitor Eugene constantly. If he ever got lost, they said, he would never be able to find his way home. But one morning, while she was getting dressed, Eugene slipped out the front door. He had a tendency to wander from room to room, so it took her a while to notice he was gone. When she did, she became frantic. 
She ran outside and scanned the street. She couldn't see him. She went to the neighbor's house and pounded on the windows. Their home looked similar. Maybe Eugene had become confused and slipped inside. She had ran door to door, ringing the doorbell until someone answered. Eugene was not there. She sprinted back to the street, running up the block, screaming Eugene's name. She was crying. What if he had wandered into traffic? How would he tell anyone where he lived? She had been outside for 15 minutes already, looking everywhere, and she ran home to call the police. When she burst through the door, she found Eugene sitting in front of the television watching the History Channel. Her tears confused him. He didn't remember leaving, didn't know where he had been, and couldn't understand why she was so upset. Now, how is that possible? How how is it possible someone with permanent brain damage, unable to remember how to walk from room to room, unable to remember his wife's name, unable to locate his own kitchen or tell someone where he lives, how is he able to walk around the neighborhood and find his way home? Well, according to research from Duke University, more than 40% of our actions are unconscious habits. Four out of 10 actions are merely habits so deeply ingrained in us, we are not aware we are following them. You do it and don't realize you're doing it. You just do it. EP locates the kitchen and finds his house instinctively because there are pathways cut into his brain telling him what to do based on embedded routine. Habits buried deeply within his brain, even his permanent brain damage does not alter them. Here's what's interesting. Each of us, each one of us in this room, everybody watching online, everybody who came to the first service today, everybody you know, each of us has these same pathways cut in our brains. Routine habits, and we follow them, yet remain unaware we are doing so. They are just second nature. Let me give you some examples. Brushing your teeth. I doubt seriously when you get up in the morning and you go to the you know, bathroom to brush your teeth that you have to think, now, what am I supposed to do? And what is this concoction with the little bristles on top? And you've got to try to remember what it is. And then wh- where do I put the toothpaste? And then, oh, I guess I'm supposed to turn the water on. You don't think about any of that, more than likely. You just do it. You're unconscious about it. It's just a habit that's been ingrained in you. You're thinking about your day. You're thinking about other things. Some of you even carry on conversations with a toothbrush in your mouth. You just go on and on and on doing it, not even realizing what you're doing. How about driving to and from work? You ever got to work and you couldn't remember where you turned or was that a red light or a green light? I don't know. You just hunt, you were listening to a podcast, listening to music, having a conversation. You just automatically turn left, you turn right, and you get to where you're going. Here, here's one. How about putting on makeup while you're driving? Ladies ever done that? Some of you men ever done that? You didn't even think about it. You just did it, right? You know how to drive and you can do multitasking things. Here's the point. Ingrained habits drive a lot of our decisions and we're unaware they're operating within us. And although most of these habits involve necessarily daily activities such as brushing your teeth, taking a shower, making coffee, kicking the cat, backing out of the driveway... Many of our habits result, and here it is, unhealthy and sometimes even dangerous actions. Most of the habits we have in our life help us get on with life. 
It's about getting ready. It's about washing clothes. It's about getting, taking a shower. It's about making coffee. It's about driving to work. It's about all the different things that you've ingrained, habits you've ingrained yourself at work even to take care of yourself and to make money. But some of us have some habits that we've ingrained in our lives and they are unhealthy and even a few of them are dangerous. Here's some examples of that. Negative thinking. Do you realize the way you think, positive or negative, is a habit you've developed? I don't know what it is, God. I I just can't help it. I, I think negatively. I guess I'm just cynical. Yes, you are. You've developed a habit of being negative, being cynical, and now most of your brain can be quiet and relax, and you will carry out the negative thinking without much thought. You don't know why it is, but when something happens, you see the most negative outcome. When something happens, you see the most cynical uh, um, uh, understanding of that particular activity. Because you've ingrained it so much so, you just carry it out automatically. Hurtful words are the same way. We've developed a habit of saying hurtful and damaging words about ourselves, about other people, because it is a habit. We don't think about it, and now the words just flow. Addictions are similar. Whether it's food or alcohol or shopping, whatever, we crave those things because we've developed a habit, a habit so deeply ingrained within us, we don't even realize we're doing it. It is almost as if we're not even choosing it any longer. We have this craving for whatever it is, and we give ourselves over to that craving because it is just part of who we are. We begin to think, I can't do anything about it, whether it's negative words, hurtful words, negative thinking, addictions, whatever. It's just who I am, and I agree. It is who you are because you are what you repeatedly do. You eventually become what you do over and over and over again. I read this a few years ago and it really stuck with me. You form your habits and then your habits form you. You form your habits and then your habits form you. So let's get real personal, okay? been talking about some things up here. Let's bring it down to where we live. Let me ask you a very personal question and I want you to answer this question about yourself. Do you like the person your habits are forming? Do you like the person you see in the morning and your habits are forming that person? Do you like her? Do you like him? Do you like who you are emotionally? Do you like who you are physically? Do you like who you are financially? Do you like who you are relationally? Do you like who you are spiritually? Do you like the person your habits are forming? And if you say, yes, I do, awesome. But if not, then know this. When I change my habits, my habits change me. If you do not like the person you are becoming, then you've got habits in your life leading you to become that person. Change your habits and you change. How? How do I go about, Scott? How do I go about forming new habits that transform me into a new me, a new purpose? Well, listen, before we get any further, I just want you to know this. I am not going to challenge you in this message to set up New Year's resolutions. That is a perfect setup for a New Year's resolution. Okay, you're going to say, you know, make this resolution and make that resolution. I'm not going to do that. That's not my goal today. My goal today is not to challenge you to have a New Year's resolution. It's not to guilt trip you into accomplishing whatever that resolution is. Why? Because it rarely works. 
I've been down that road many times. Not only have I been guilt-tripped into making changes, I've tried to guilt-trip other people. I call them sermons, but I've tried to guilt-trip other people into, you know, changing this and changing that and trying my best to make people feel really bad about where they are. And hopefully they'll feel sad and they'll feel really bad about themselves and they'll go out of here and they'll change their life. Listen, guilt-trips do not work and guilt-tripping is anti-Christian. No guilt trips here. That's not my goal. But wouldn't it be nice to not feel guilty about failing to accomplish a New Year's resolution and lay all that weight down and lay all that guilt down and lay all that shame down and instead you just say, God, I just, I just want one thing, just one thing in my life that, that I probably need to focus in on one thing I need to ask you to help me with, one area of my life that, that if your spirit will help me live this one area out, it'll cascade into so many different areas and it will probably change everything in my life. Wouldn't it be nice to just not have all the weight and all the pressure, but to really feel that God is leading you into one area that you can, you can see a significant change in and that would change every other area? You'll see what I mean in just a moment. I want, I want to introduce you to the, the D word, okay? Tough one, discipline. Everybody say that word with me out loud, if you will, please. I don't do a lot of that, but I, I want you to get that, that dirty word, kind of just get it in your mouth and get used to it, okay? Say the word with me, please, discipline. Ooh, that's hard, isn't it, discipline? For some of you, I'm going to blow your minds right now. Are you ready? Every person in this room is highly disciplined. In fact, look at somebody. I'm not going to ask you to say anything to them. You're not going to tap them on the shoulder or nothing like that. But just look at somebody. I don't care if it's across the room, if it's your boyfriend, girlfriend, friend. Whoever, just look at I just want you to notice them because I want to tell you something about that person. Every single person you see in this room, every man, every woman is a well-oiled, highly disciplined machine. It's just that some of us are disciplined to get up early, drink a protein shake, and head to the gym. And others of us are disciplined to hit the snooze button three times, eat leftover pizza for breakfast, and barely make it to work with our hair still wet. But we're all disciplined. There is not an undisciplined person in this room. Here, here's what discipline is. Discipline is choosing between what you want now and choosing what you want most. And some of us want to sleep in most. And that's why we do it. Some of us want to get to work early, and therefore we do. Some of us want this. Some of us want that. And whatever it is we want most, we discipline ourselves to get it. Everybody is disciplined. So let me ask you, what do you want most? Some of us want donuts most. Some of us want drama most, and that's why you constantly have so much of it. Some of us want a vibrant marriage most. Some of us want an early retirement most. Some of us want a relationship with Jesus most. What do you want most? Because whatever you want most, you will discipline yourself to get it every single time. Now, you might be thinking, well, Scott, that's, that's my problem. I can't seem to discipline myself for some of the good things, and I find myself being disciplined for the wrong things. 
and I want to be disciplined to stretch my mind through reading scripture or taking some classes, but instead I'm disciplined and I stretch my pants by eating Cheetos and watching silly series on TV for the third time. What's wrong with me? Well, one, you sound like a human. And two, you probably developed some habits a few years ago that led you down a road that today you're disappointed at where you've arrived. But I know what you're saying. I I get it. So where do you find the strength? to make some decisions that lead you down a road of health and productivity and wholeness rather than a road that leads you down to unhealthy things and damaged relationships and all. Where do you get that strength? It's a great question. The Apostle Paul, he's a leader in the New Testament, extraordinary leader, planted churches, led churches, pastored churches, changed his known world, wrote about half of the entire New Testament. So when you think of the Apostle Paul, you would imagine this guy is really disciplined. I mean, he was a disciplined person. We're all disciplined, but you would probably imagine he was disciplined in all the good areas, and he had incredible healthy habits, but that wasn't always the case in Paul's life. In fact, take a look at this passage from Romans 7. This is Paul, the great apostle, talking about himself. And he says, I really don't understand myself or what I want to do when I, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. How many of you would say, hey, that sounds a lot like me. There are things in my life that that I want to do, and I know they're the good things, and they're the healthy things, but I find myself doing the opposite of the things that I want to do. He goes on. He says, I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. You ever been there? You ever been to a place in your life where your behavior contradicts your desires? Listen to verse 20. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing wrong. It's sin living in me that does it. He's talking about this this battle. It's like, I don't want to do that, but I do it anyway. And it's almost like there's two people living in me, and they're always fighting. And I find myself doing the very things I hate. You You ever got to the end of your day or the end of your week, and you just looked yourself in the mirror, or you just sat down, and you just thought, kind of person am I? You ever fulfilled a particular desire you had and you really didn't want to do it, but then again you did want to do it and you gave in to the appetite and you got to the end of whatever that thing was you thought was going to just bring you all this pleasure and all this fulfillment and all this joy and you just felt so empty on the inside and you're just like, what was I thinking? And I told myself last time that I wouldn't do it and here I did it again. You ever been there? Sure you have. I have. And that's why he cries out in desperation in verse 24 and says, oh, what a miserable person I am. Boy, I have felt that. What a miserable person I am. Who, 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 who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? You ever, you ever looked yourself in the mirror after you've done something stupid and just thought, man, you are never going to change, are you? You're just going to keep falling into that same trap over and over and over again. Maybe it was after you slept with him again or getting drunk again or binging again or maxing out the credit card again 
or eating too much again or arguing with your spouse again. And this is where the Apostle Paul comes to the end of himself and he's just miserable and desperate and broken and crushed and despairing. And he says, I just need help. I don't know what to do. I just feel miserable on the inside. And then he realizes the solution. And this is so key. He says, thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. I want you to listen to me very carefully because I'm going to help you. Okay? Those of us who find ourselves disciplined toward hurtful and damaging things, According to Paul, our answer is not found in more to-do lists. Our answer is not found in principles or self-discipline. Our answer is not found in putting up a whole bunch of lists on our mirror and in our truck and and, 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 in books and in our Bible and putting it on our desk and all the things that I'm going to do this year and coming up with more New Year's resolutions and calling 10 people to hold you accountable and trying to force yourself to make all these changes. Paul says that that's not where I found my answer. I tried all that. The answer that I found is in a person. Not a principle, but a person. Not a long list, but a person. A living person who was born, who lived, who died, and who was resurrected today. Jesus. So Paul says, who will deliver me? Jesus. And he realized that the Christ in me is stronger than the wrong appetites in me. I read that a few years ago or heard that a few years ago, and it just it rang so true. I just remember writing it down and saying, I've got to share that with people. When we come to the place that we realize that the Christ in us is stronger than the wrong appetites in us, then we surrender ourselves and say, Christ Jesus, I've got things inside of me that are dangerous. I've got things inside of me that's going to destroy my marriage. It's going to destroy my job. It's going to destroy my mind, my health, my heart. It's going to destroy my friendships. It's going to destroy a lot of things. I cannot do this by myself. I need you. Self-discipline is not our answer. A New Year's resolution, we've been there so many times. Not our answer. Big promises, not our answer. So what is our answer? Spirit-led living. So what is that? That's when God's Spirit empowers you to do what you are incapable of doing by yourself. It's when the Holy Spirit leads us to choose what we want most over what we want now. And that's big. Here's the deal. By the power of Christ, we will choose what we want most over what we want now. By the power of Christ, we're going to train our bodies to be disciplined in what matters most. And we're going to say, God, help me choose what I know is much better than what I know is most available. How, 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 how? In 1 Corinthians 9, Paul compares life to a race. Not a sprint, but a marathon. It's a long, steady pace for miles and miles. That's life. And according to Paul, if you're going to be successful in life, you got to allow God's spirit to work within you 
empowering you to choose what you most want, really down deep what you most want, instead of what you want now. And discipline is going to be the key. Folks, here's what I've learned. Most of us sitting in this room, if we've got a particular habit in our life and we run over here to this thing or this person or this substance or this internet site or this whatever it is, most of us in this room, if we have something like that, what we want most isn't necessarily that thing. It's whatever is beyond that thing, but we think that thing will give it to us quick. See, it's not that we want to be addicted to this particular drug. We want peace, and we think that drug will give it to us. It's not that we want the affair. It's that we want to be loved and accepted, and we think that will give us a shortcut to what we want most. And my prayer is that God's going to somehow open our eyes that we'll see that that thing that is in front of us now isn't really going to give us what we want most And we'll move away from the now and allow the most to eventually come to us. The Corinthians, Paul's audience, were very, very familiar with what Paul was talking about when he said the race. Everybody in Corinth knew about the Ismian games. Now, you may or may not be familiar with the Ismian games, but the Ismian games were the Olympics of Paul's day. And these games were patriotic and represented honor and pride. And Paul's audience immediately knew what Paul was speaking about whenever he said, don't you realize that in a race everyone runs but only one person gets the prize? The audience was going, yeah, we know what you're talking about. We've watched the Isbian games. We know about the athletes who run in these races and how only one of them gets the prize. And Paul's like, yeah, you know what I'm talking about, how all these athletes run and only one gets the prize? Yeah, run that way. Live that way. Run to win. Be disciplined to go for that thing in your life that you really, 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 really want. Live like that. Live to win. How? Discipline. Watch what Paul says. All athletes are, say it with me, disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. But we do it for an eternal prize. You know what the prize was? For those who won the Ismian Games, a crown of leaves. They would form this beautiful crown of leaves and they would place it on top of the winner and everyone would ooh and awe and applaud for this person who had a crown of leaves on his head. And Paul said, think about all the athletes that compete and train and run and they do all of that to win a crown of leaves on their head. What you're running for is so much more than that. What you're competing for is so much more than just leaves. It's a marriage. It's a family. It's your children. It's your health. It's your spiritual life. It's emotional capacity. It is your mental peace. It's so many more things than just a crown of leaves. Hebrews 12.1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by a huge crowd of witnesses, he's creating this sense of games where people are surrounded and they're watching you run the race of life. Therefore, since we are surrounded by the huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down. You know why the writer of Hebrews says that? Because in the Ismian games, they would literally strip all their clothing off and run with no clothes on at all. 
because they didn't want anything to trip them up or make them fall. Paul says if people are that disciplined to do all of that to get a crown of leaves, think about what you are running for. Think about what you are trying for. In fact, those who ran in the Isbian Games, they would enter into 10 months of intensive training. 10 months of clean food, no junk, no wine. 10 months of intense, they would take them through intense cold and intense heat, doing everything they could to toughen their bodies so they could get to the Isbian Games and win the crown of leaves. And Paul says, you see how these people live? And all of that is for leaves, run to win. Take your life seriously. Run, watch, run, run, run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I, say it with me, discipline my body like an athlete training to do what it should. I don't waste my life, Paul says. I'm not wasting my breath and my energy and my money and my time. There is a reason to live and love and give and serve, and I discipline my body so I can be effective as a mother, as a father, as a pastor, as a leader, as a friend, etc. I don't want to live my life wastefully. So Paul says, I'm not going to choose some cheap thrill that I want now and miss out on what I want most. Well, Scott, that's easy for you to say. You're a pastor. Really? You're naturally disciplined. Really? Do you realize there, there are times, don't tell anybody, but there are times when I don't want to write another sermon. Many times. I don't want to read another book. I don't want to counsel another person. I don't want to lead another project. I am not naturally disciplined. I am not even that spiritually disciplined. Left to myself, I would be a mess, and sometimes I am, but I clean up pretty good and pull it together. Why? Because God's Spirit continues to inspire me and continues to empower me to choose what I want most over what I want now. And you know what I want most? I want you to grow in Jesus most. You know what I want most? I want Forest Park to be healthy most. You know what I want most? I, I, I want your family and friends to meet Jesus most. You know what I want most? I want my kids and my grandkids to have a father and a grandfather who is faithful to their mother and grandmother most. You know what I want most? I want Lana to respect me as a loving father. And I want my kids to respect me most. So therefore, there are some things that I don't do. And it's not because I can't or it's not because God won't love me or he, he, he will withhold his mercy or I'll bring down some weird curse or some kind of silly stuff. It's not because of any of that. It's not because I'm trapped or I'm in law or I'm in bondage and I have to say no to that because as Christians you can't do that and you can't do this and you got to bring your rule book out and figure out what you can and can't do. No, 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 no. I could. But I don't want to. And I don't want to because there are things on the other side of that thing that I want most. 
And therefore, as Paul says, we discipline our bodies so we can run the race with purpose. It has nothing to do with God's grace or love. It has nothing to do with forgiveness or mercy or eternal security. It has to do with this life. And folks, here's the thing. Let's just take it out of Christianity. Let's just take it out of the spiritual life. If you have a job, do you not have to discipline yourself in some ways to accomplish what it is you're supposed to do on your job? If you have a job and you've got to show up at 9 o'clock every morning, you have to show up at 9 o'clock every morning, which means you have to say no to watching a show that comes on at 8.30. If, if, if you are in customer service and, and you get ticked off at somebody, you might have to say no to some of the things that you want to say to that person because you still have to treat that person with respect. That's discipline. That's not bondage. That's what's required to function in this life. So as Christians, we're not in bondage. There are some things we say no to because we want something greater on the other side of that. And we want to have a reputation and respect and love people and marriages that hold together to the best of our ability and friendships that last and churches that are healthy and on and on it goes. So how, 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 Scott, do I keep those things in front of me? How do I consistently choose what I want most? I just want to introduce you to one thing and we're going to go, okay? Charles Duhigg in his book again, The Power of Habit, he talks about what he calls keystone habits. Keystone habits. What are keystone habits? They are habits, and I want to say this real clear, and you'll follow along with this if I do it well. They are habits, if they exist in your life, create positive momentum and trigger disciplines in other areas of your life. But if you don't have them or you ignore them, negative momentum gets started and other positive and healthy disciplines are ignored. Now, I'm going to give you an illustration and it'll click. All right. I've talked to some people who've told me that their keystone habit, this is how simple it is, their keystone habit is they make their bed every morning. That's it. Say, so how in the world does that make your life better? It trickles into other areas. It creates a momentum. They get up and they make their bed every morning. You know what that means? It creates this sense of organization. They straighten up their bedroom. It, they feel better about themselves. They have a better attitude, so they choose a better breakfast. They go to work with a better attitude and more energy because they chose a good breakfast. They have attitudes with people at work. That's better. And guess what? The people at work treat them a reflection of their attitude. They have a better day, so when they get home, they're in a better mood. And when they're in a better mood, their spouse and kids respond to that better mood in a better way. And they have a better evening, so they sleep better. All because they made their bed. That's a keystone habit. Now, in my life, I have several, but in my life, one of my keystone habits for me is time to spend reading. That's me. Why? Because when I fill my mind, whatever I fill my mind with trickles down into my heart. And if I give good, rich, intellectually, mentally, and spiritually stimulating material, it changes everything else. 
When I do, when I get up early enough that I spend some time reading good material, that I feel better about my day, because I feel better, I interact with Lana better in the morning, I arrive at the office with mental food to chew on, I speak with the staff team with faith and courage, my day goes better, my sermons are better, my counseling is better, my lunch choices are better, I arrive home in a better frame of mind, I sleep better because I chose to read good books. But if I don't, and I choose to get lost in TikTok world or Facebook or Instagram, not guilt-tripping anybody about it. I know how it is. I feel sluggish. I make poor choices for breakfast. I arrive at the office frustrated with my morning. I speak to the staff team in a way that gives the impression that they're in my way. I react to people's negative comments with negativity. On the way home, I feel like my day was unproductive, which means I come home in a bad attitude and makes my evening less enjoyable, and I don't sleep as well. So every day, I must discipline myself to do some good reading. Is that bondage? Is that a law? I'm in bondage in Christianity? No. It's something I discipline myself to do to start my day in the right direction. So as we wrap up, let me ask you a question. What do you want most? What do you want most? You want your marriage to improve? You want to begin spiritual growth? Do you want to lose some weight? Do you want to free yourself from an addiction? Do you want to get out of debt? I don't know. You can come up with 25 other things. What do you want most? With the strength and help of Jesus, we'll begin to move toward what we want most rather than what we want now. Because typically what we want now is available, and it's so easy. And you might have to stop over and over and over again and say, God, right now, right here, right now, this thing is right here. And I know it's easy, and I know you're going to love me even if. And I know that it's not about your mercy, it's not about your grace, and it's not about any of that. But I know that if I take that, it's going to hinder what I want most. And I don't want to mess up what I want most for what I want now. And I feel like the Apostle Paul, sometimes I want to do right, but I do wrong. And I just get all this, help me, spirit lead me. And over and over and over and over and over, when you choose the right, you choose the right, you choose the better, you choose the more healthy, guess what happens? Just like EP, your brain gets cut in the right and more healthy ways. And all of a sudden, your pursuit of what you want most will become second nature. And then one year will turn to five years. Five years will turn to ten. 10 will turn to 20, and 20 will turn to 40, and then you will have lived your life in the right direction. Let's pray. Father, we bring ourselves to you. We bring our pain, our hurt, our heartaches. We bring our mistakes, our habits, our, our addictions. We bring our questions. We bring our New Year's resolutions. We bring all the things that caused us pain in 2021. And here we are at the beginning of a brand new year. 
And Father, I don't want anyone to walk out of here feeling guilty. I want people to walk out of here feeling energized. I want people to walk out of here feeling spirit-led. I want people to walk out of here going, you know what? I get it. It makes sense. I want people to walk out and say, that's exactly right. Paul was filled with so much wisdom. There are some areas of my life that I need to have discipline for, and I'm going to need you, God, to help me with that because I really do want some things more than I want those things that are right now. But I've developed habits of falling into the now. Speak to me. Infuse me with your strength. Lead me down a path of righteousness. Lead me down a path of health. Lead me down a path of love. Lead me down a path of generosity. Lead me down a path of beauty. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for speaking to us today. Thank you for challenging us today. Thank you for moving in our church, moving in our lives. We honor you. As we stand at the beginning of this year, we say we give it all to you. Lead us and lead us well. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great day, guys. Thank you so much for being with us.